Morning, everyone. I'm Chang, and this morning I'll read John's Gospel, chapter one, verse one to thirteen. I'm reading from the NRSV, and in the Red Bible, the page is one six four six. Let's start. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing became into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light. So that all might believe through him, he himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him. Who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the man, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Thank you, Tran.、Um, it's fine if you've got the NIV in front of you; they're very similar.、Uh, the earlier NIV had a different word in it that I'm not using today about、um, the darkness, not comprehending, but、um, in this case, overcoming. Let me pray. It's great to be with you. Sorry, let me, let me just say before I pray, great to be with you. It's lovely to see the church、um, looking pretty, and the lights are very appropriate for this reading. So thank you for organising that just at the right time. <laughs> but I'll pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, evident in what we've heard, both in、um, Kat's prayers, in、um, Henry and Crystal going out to serve you in another part of the world, in Tassie, to bring your light to the world. We pray as we continue to reflect upon your word and the word,、uh, Christ, that you would continue to, to grow us, to mature us, to、uh, help us see your purposes in this world and in the one to come. And pray until that day we see you face to face. You help us to be both faithful, rejoicing, encouraged,、um, and delighting in who you are and what you came to do for us in the Saviour. So bless us now. We ask through the work of your Spirit for your glory and for our good. In your name, Amen.、Uh, when.、Um, I was able to scramble down some cliffs at Swan Reach many years ago, down a somewhat rusty ladder that I think、um, now I wouldn't do because I'm getting older and more cautious. We were able to go into a,、um, a cave that,、um, as we、um, went further and further in and sort of scrambled through a few passageways with our torches, we got to a somewhat larger cavern, and then we turned off our torches. Now most. Uh, parts of the Western world, 
there is light everywhere. Um, you have to go outside on a really cloudy night for there to be no light at all. Even then, there's still a little bit after your eyes have adjusted to often just starlight, a bit of moon. When you're in a cave where there, no light reaches and you then turn the torches off and there are people you know who are like this far away from you but you can't see them. We talked about afterwards, everyone did this. Once they turned the torch off, they did this. Because you couldn't even see your hand. You could not see anything. I've never experienced pitch black like it before. It was, even now I've got kind of like, you know, it's pretty kind of eerie, scary, a wonderful, amazing experience. That kind of pitch darkness is very um, unusual for us unless you do something like that or go into a room that is completely sealed so no light can spill in at all. Uh, in um, the beginning of John's Gospel, deliberately picking up the account of the creation, which I think you heard a little bit about last week, light comes and bang! Into that pitch blackness comes a shaft of light, or we don't know what it means, but a, a massive amount of light that um, streams through the created order and goes everywhere. The heavens and the earth that the Spirit's been brooding over, um, the light then comes into creation. And then in John's Gospel, we're reminded that, or told that, this light is actually the Word. The Word, or the Logos is the Greek word, um, the Word who was with God at the very beginning. And if you read those first few verses, you're reminded both of creation, the power, the awesomeness, the incredible uh, capacity to create with a word, by the word, uh, who then we, we find later who that is. In the beginning, God, says Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, John chapter 1 says, and we're supposed to push those two together and be reminded that this word that is revealed later in a few verses to who that is, is the same one who was there at the very beginning of creation before the creation began. Verse 4 of John chapter 1 says, In him was life, and that light, that life was the light of all mankind. This gospel uses the word for life 36 times, which is more than double any other book in the Bible. Life, life, the fact that we're alive today, the fact that we can feel, we can breathe, we can relate, we can speak, we can have relationships the fact that animals have life, that birds have life, that, that normally in the mornings at about 5.30, the same one, tweet, 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 tweet. It sounds like my alarm, and at 5.30, it's not a good idea. Uh, but still, beautiful, nevertheless, as I hear them around, uh, and I see them at springtime, particularly multiplying. The beauty of the creation in any part of our world you can see is the life that God has given us. And it owes its existence and its original source from the word. And that life, we're told, was the light of all mankind or all humanity. It's the light that enlivens. The idea here is that as that light comes, as that life comes together, they, the light enlivens all of humanity. When someone dies, maybe isn't a phrase used much, but people say her light went out. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Meaning that they died. I hadn't thought about it until I started writing this sermon. That's a connection between life and light. You know, their light has gone. 
And we often light a candle in memory of someone who's died. Um, interestingly, today we light candles. Why? They don't provide much light, Ben, sorry. But what are they? They're kind of symbolic. I mean, I, I've been to some churches where they've gone all very modern um, and done similar to what we've done here and, you know, changed the direction of the church. But went to this very uh, large charismatic Anglican church in New Zealand and they'd gone all very trendy uh, but they also had massive candles, not, not the old-style candles, you wouldn't want those, but big, large candles. Because some, for some reason, light and candles particularly are evocative of something, and they're, I think, reminding us of all sorts of things, but symbolically we often refer to them as a spirit, or it's just light, isn't it? There's something, I don't know, cute, nice about candles that come out at Christmas time. Well, I don't know what it is, but light is both tantalising and attractive I think maybe that's from God. Other thing I reflect on is um, sometimes at night if I go out into our uh, hallway, um, okay, it's very dark, um, I've been asleep, wake up, walk out, and we've got a smoke alarm up on the ceiling. That tiny little dot of light that you can't see during the daytime, or really at all normally, really, just kind of is there, it, the whole hallway is lit up. Amazing, isn't it? That just a tiny bit of light can make that much difference. I don't know about you, but when the power goes off, as some seems to do rather regularly these days, um, it has one of the places that we, we've got, um, uh, you get out the tea candles and you light them all up because you, know, you realise you haven't um, charged your phone and you're thinking, well, gee, I've got 11% left. I wonder how long the power outage is going to go for. I don't know if you also, um, when you think about that, you light the tea candles and you suddenly realise, well, you might be able to read a book, because uh, I also found my iPad wasn't charged. Um, you can, and your eyes do adjust, but nevertheless, it's not great, is it? And one of the reasons I say all that is, in the time when this was written, um, I think we have trouble picturing what light means for people. Light means safety, uh, it means um, clarity, it means protection from danger. Where we go in the Western world, we're rarely ever without light in our homes, outside our homes. Our homes are brilliantly lit up with LED lights, all that kind of stuff. The lights on cars are so bright sometimes, the brake lights, they hurt my eyes. We are saturated with light, but in those days, it was a candle. So if you, next time the power goes out, think about this. That candle that you've got in your hand, that you've, a couple of those tea candles you've lit to keep, um, so you can see where you are, that's often as the best it got for people living in that time. Or they had a kind of a lantern to keep the wind off the candle, but again, with a wick or some oil, that was the best that they had, which means if you're carrying it, you can kind of see about that far. No street lights, no house lights, no torch lights, no phone lights, no iPad lights, no... So I think we don't get the drama of the light that came into the world. It's as if when Jesus comes, those little candles, that little lamp, is like the beam of light there. It's like the light from uh, Adelaide Oval that you can see when they're lit up from kilometres and kilometres away. It creates a cloud of its own light. I mean, you've seen it from a distance. It's quite awesome, really. It's that kind of amazing entry into our world where people go, wow. That's what John is trying to remind or tell the readers of, of when he wrote his gospel. 
And of course, I've already given it away, but spoiler alert, that word that comes into the world, that word that was there at the beginning of creation, is Jesus. Dispelling the darkness, the physical darkness in the sense from creation, yes, but also spiritual darkness. Jesus, the word, the light, brings light, life to all humanity, coming to dispel the spiritual darkness that envelops the world. When I was rereading this, it struck me that this is the Jesus whom we worship, who we come and Cats just prayed too, uh, who we uh, praise and who we seek to honour. Um, I don't know if you think about it, but what we actually believe as Christians is that Jesus who walked the earth up till about AD 30, 33, thereabouts, he was there at the very beginning of creation. This is what we believe. Not just a guy who walked the earth, but the one who helped make the very stuff of which we are made. The one who breathed life into us. The one who gives us the possibility, as we'll see in a minute, to become children of God. That is extraordinary. Some people would say it's completely nuts, right? To believe that that this Jesus who walked the earth for a short time was there at the beginning of creation and was involved in the very act of creation. That's what we believe. That Christ, the Word, is the bringer of life and light and has divine qualities imbued with all that is God um, to fulfil God's purposes both in creation and for us. Verse 5 says, the light has shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it or defeated it. This is a declaration of the power of Christ's coming. It's a statement of hope with the coming of Christ and a statement of the good news, the gospel. Because I could just, I, people do that now, lick their fingers and go, tsst. <laughs> I've only done that once or twice and then decided it was a bad idea. because yeah. Leanne could probably do it because she can pick up things out of the oven with her hand on them. It's too hot. Um, putting out light in the, again in that age was quite easy to do. Just blow the candle out or the wick. Easily done. But this declaration here is you can't extinguish this light. Remember, if you're walking with a lamp in a dangerous part, path, you can't see where you're going. Forget nice, you know, nice paths that we have. Things you trip over, fall, hurt yourself, whatever it is. If that light goes out, you don't know where you are. You can't work out how to get back. Like It's dangerous. This light cannot get put out by the darkness. It streams into the darkness and continues to show where, it, where we go and also, I guess, where we've come from. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus to his disciples, to Peter and to the other disciples. He said, This is God's church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's because he is the light. That his people, who are people of the light, us, um, that God in the end will build his church to the point when he returns. Words like, do not be afraid, I've overcome the world, are a declaration that the world doesn't win. Words like, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And of course, in his death and resurrection on the cross, 
light and darkness come into bitter and decisive conflict at that point of Christ on the cross and light defeats darkness. The cross is the declaration that light wins, that God wins, that darkness does not win. Because I suspect that sometimes we feel like darkness is winning or has won, or that evil is winning, or that the godless will triumph, or ongoing injustice will never be addressed. When you feel that way and you think that way, remember the words, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Because I think most of us yearn for justice, for righteousness, for truth, for love to win. And in the gospel of Jesus, it has and it will. So hold on to that truth that when life is hard and it seems like evil or darkness is winning, remember the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In this account from John's gospel in scripture, we... We have this little sort of section where John the Baptist sort of turns up in the middle, kind of almost, um, and um, writers often go, what, what's it doing there? Well, actually, I think it's really helpful what it's doing there is John the Baptist, who was a, a really significant figure in the time of Jesus, and people thought he might have been the Messiah, and he said, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. I think John's writing that to make that clear as well. I'm pointing to the light. It says he came, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness to that light. He's a messenger pointing to Christ. And I think as I read that, the, the clear inference for us as believers is we are also to be messengers to the light. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe, through Jesus all might believe. So... Um, the one who has the immense power and the power and the power to dispel the spiritual darkness in any one of us and the spiritual darkness that permeates our world, we are to point to him. So where you see darkness, where you see evil, where you see wrongdoing uh, in the world, in yourself, we're pointing to Christ as the solution. Our world has all sorts of attempts at solving the problems of social difficulty, of misconduct, of evil behaviour. Occasionally you see people refer to a particular crime as being evil or the person being evil, but there isn't really a solution to that in our world, I don't think. Punishment, yes, or um, uh, kind of a just outcome, yes, put him in jail, hopefully they get better kind of thing, but not the problem of evil, not solved by our world, but it is by Christ. So the question I ask then is how can I point to Christ like John the Baptist does? Not to myself, but in humility and joy and amazement about this amazing Jesus whom we follow, how can I point to him as the solution for all that troubles us and the wrongdoing that so easily besets us? How can I point to Christ to help people know that he is the light that can dispel the darkness within them as well or maybe within you today? I'm sure Barneys will miss Crystal and Henry uh, as uh, as was said before, and we'll say it again, I'm sure, these guys have been great pointers to Jesus as the light, great sharers to others who don't yet know about Christ, that he is the answer. Thank you guys for that ministry to us as well as to the gospel of Christ. Well, let's go back to the text now in verse 10. Uh, it speaks about um, him coming into the world. Then it has these kind of um, 
sombre note. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, so though Christ's fingerprints are on the very nature of every part of creation, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but, to his, but his own did not receive him. It's as if your children don't recognise you as you walk down Rundle Mall. I mean, with masks on, maybe they can't tell. But, you know, as you walk past, imagine you kind of go like this to your kids. Hey, you know, if they're older, I guess. Don't think, not, hopefully not little kids running around Rundle Mall by themselves or on the skateboards or whatever they're not supposed to do. But, you know, you're walking along and if you've got children and they walk past you and they're kind of, you know, young adults and they kind of just go, just keep going. And you go, uh, um, uh, and they just keep going. Straight past, that's right. Yeah, imagine that happening. And, if the, and it's as if having been drawn to their attention that there's something about you worth noting, uh, um, wasn't that your mum and dad back there? They go, eh, whatever, indifferent. And then you follow up and you, you think, well, maybe they just missed because, you know, I've got this really cool mask and I don't think I'm cool and I was dressed kind of like differently. And you knock on the door at home and, and uh, ask if you can come in. And they go, uh, sorry, mum, dad, we're too busy doing our own thing to find space for you in our lives. At one level, that would be desperately sad. In this case, Jesus, as we're told, is rejected in the main by the very ones that he came to save, whom he also created. Apparently, Plato said that we can forgive a child for being afraid of the dark, but the real tragedy is when people are afraid of the light. Because there is something confronting about Jesus as well, which we read through the Gospels. He does confront us with our need for saving. He confronts us with our uh, failure or, our, or even the darkness within that we don't want to acknowledge. The number of people I've talked to, um, particularly men, I might say, if it's a pride thing, I'm not sure. I'm not, not, not only men have pride issues, I'm sure. But they are, so I don't, I don't need a saviour. I'm fine. And you saying that I need a saviour suggests there's something basically wrong with me, and I completely and utterly reject that. That's what Jesus does. He points out the darkness in us, and that can be both scary, um, but of course it's supposed to be an offer of salvation. Historically, the word, Jesus, was rejected by his own Jewish people. Leaders saw their power bases threatened. One king tried to kill all the children that were the same age as the one who was Jesus. People ignored his miracles, even when he raised people from the dead. I always find it amazing that once some of the, the, the leaders uh, hear that Jesus raised Lazarus, it says some believed in him, and others tried all the more to kill him. Isn't that incredible? This guy raises someone from the dead. Some believe. Others go, hmm, he's dangerous. We've got to get rid of him. Wow. Pharisees rejected his teaching as preposterous, said he was blaspheming because he was claiming only God's right to do things like forgive sins and attributed casting out demons to Satan. And crowds jeered him before the cross and on the cross. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
And there is a rebuke there to us. Have we recognised who Jesus really is? That's put in there. The scripture says that so that we might check that we ourselves have not just gone, nah, not interested, thank you. Can't be bothered. Don't believe it. Don't want it, thank you. It's too uncomfortable. Of course, that rejection continues today. Um, some would view Christian beliefs today as fables, some as naive, some as actually dangerous. And if the verses stopped there, you'd think, well, this seems to be like a significant failure of, the, of Christ, the, wor- the word, coming to bring light if they didn't welcome him. But it is an amazing and wonderful thing. They didn't respond to rejection with rejection. Someone has said, to his own home he came, but his own people did not welcome him. And yet, in the midst of this ungrateful world, he manifested his supreme love. From the infinite sweep of eternal delight in the very presence of his Father, the Word was willing to descend into this realm of misery, to pitch his tent for a while amongst sinful people, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. For there is more to this story than rejection, isn't there? The good news is that not everyone did reject uh, the word, reject the light. Verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, so partly it says, even those who, who, who are his own reject him, but, there's a but, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I want to spend the last few minutes of the sermon talking about what it means to be a child of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So why did Jesus come? There are lots of different answers to that question, but the one here that is really clear and the one that you see through the Gospels as Jesus keeps calling people to himself, as people come needy and dependent, ask for his help and his transforming power, he wants them, he wants us to become, he wants those who don't know him to become children of God. Children of God. Some believed in his name, that is accepted that what was said about him and what he said about himself was true. And note that it's spiritual birth and it's God's decision, not ours. He gave the right to become. The right is sits with Jesus. We don't have any right to demand of him that we become his children. You, don't, you can't demand an adoption, but he adopts us as his children. It points to God's gracious, gracious actions, not our actions, points to the work of God's Holy Spirit, not human will, that membership in God's family is by grace alone. And again, if I can describe the culture at the time, your birth status determined your status for life, pretty much. Not completely, but certainly more than in our um, Western and Australian culture. If you're born into an elite family, you had an elite future. One of the nobles, one of the ruling class, if you're born into a farming family, you'd likely just always be a farmer. Um, if your parents were slaves, then you, when you were born, became the property of the slave owner. Not even of your parents, actually. Your be- beginnings determined your future. But radically, both then and for many cultures today, and even now for us, um, in Christ, your past, your origins are not important. Your past wrongdoing and ignoring a God of his saviour is not important if you throw yourself on his mercy, 
onto the one who has the right to adopt you into his family and who wants to adopt you into his family. When I was a reasonably young Christian, I used to read lots of different books about people who'd become believers and reflect on my own life. And you'd read people who had terrible circumstances. They were druggies, bikies, drug traffickers, drug users, sometimes even murderers. Some had found Jesus in prison, or more rightly, Jesus found them there. Others got to rock bottom and found that God was there as well. But the stories always came with that sense of gratitude that once they became a believer, their life changed. And it was about their identity They then were Jesus' brother or sister. They then were part of God's family. And they then were fellow family with us who are believers. The new birth is always sheer miracle. It's all of grace. And the spiritual transformation which gives us a secure future in him sits squarely within the context of eternity. Becoming children of God means our eternal future is secure. We no longer need to worry. While this life we will struggle, certainly there'll be ups and downs, times when we're godly, times when we're not, times when we do what's right, times when we don't. We know that always we'll be loved by Christ and forgiven by him as we turn to him. Once adopted into God's family, that secures your eternity. That was the reason that Christ, one of the reasons that Christ came into the world, so that we might become children of God. What a wonderful gift. And again, remember back, the very one whose fingerprints are in creation, who spoke and brought the world and the universe into being, calls you to himself and has the right to make you one of his children. Nicodemus, spoken of in a few chapters in John's Gospel, found it hard to believe you had to be born again. But it's not a bad phrase, being born again, is it? Sometimes used with an American accent, I think it's lost some of its meaning, you know, born again. Sorry, offense, no offence to those who are American. But what I mean is that we hear that phrase, you go, oh yeah, whatever. Actually, it's a wonderful phrase. We've been born anew as the children of God. And it should delight and lead us to rejoice. So let me finish with encouraging you to see yourself as a child of God, to have eternal security, to know God's love and his discipline too as part of his family. Uh, It means we have both joy and some obligations, I might say, to fellow family members. You can't choose your brothers and sisters. Sorry about that. And you can't choose your brothers and sisters in the church family either. And we're still supposed to love each other like Christ has loved us, even though that isn't always easy. Although I must say at Barney's, one of the things I see is you guys really do seek to do that in a really wonderful way. You describe yourself as family and seek to live as family. is why you try and care for, love and serve each other. So can I remind you of the glory and wonder of Christ being the light and life of all humanity today? As we're in this Advent time of reflection, it's good to stop sometimes and reflect reminding ourselves of that truth, that the very one who came into the world was also the one who created the world. It's him who we worship, and it's he who enabled us to be children of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you and what you have done for us. And as the flickering light of a candle seems um, fragile, 
uh, we're aware that you are more like uh, the blinding light of the sun that we can't put out. And that is wonderful. We thank you that you came to dispel the darkness, the, the spiritual darkness of our world and the spiritual darkness that is, has been in us. And ask that as you continue to do your work in us, we'll continue to trust you. Rejoice in being your children. We do pray you'd help us to live as your children, both secure and certain and knowing we're forgiven and our eternal future is settled um, because nothing can pluck us out of your hand. But also, Lord, with the um, responsibilities that come with that, to point to you as the light, to bear witness to who you are, so others can know about the joy of having the darkness dispelled and their life and, li and life being full of light from you. Help us, Lord, to understand and, and deepen our faith in this so we might indeed be bearers of your light to the world. In your name we pray. Amen.